and I don't have any answers at all. I, I only have responses, but not answers. But I, I will give you some response. And um, I want to say that um, <clears throat> I won't be able to do all of them. It, there just are too many. I apologize. Um, but I will do it as many as I can. And in some cases, I'm going to give you a really, really brief answer. It, it doesn't mean that your question isn't important. It just means that if I try to do it in a comprehensive way, we have to be here till midnight. And the brothers didn't want the meeting to go that long. It'd be okay with me, but... Um, <clears throat> in some cases, I'm going to not answer, but tell you where you can find the answer. Okay? And, you know, I, 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 I'll just say this anyway. I, I feel more burdened to answer certain kinds of questions than others, so please don't be bothered. Um, and some of the questions are real close to each other, so you'll, you'll, get, you'll get an answer. Uh, several questions touched on a point that uh, I spoke to one of our sisters about on the break, and <clears throat> that is, what if you're, there's a lot of single sisters and not so many single brothers, um, and it isn't like it's a, you, you, you can't just say, yeah, okay, I, I, uh, I, I've decided to get married. No, you can't do that, obviously. Some, you know, something has to happen. Let me just tell you, because this is a really, really big question, so let me answer it briefly and tell you this, that um, God wants to do this. God ordained it. You have a human need, and he has a need. This is like the prayer of Hannah in Samuel. Hannah had a human need. She needed to have a child. God had a need for a priest. God's need and her need aligned. So when she prayed for her need, she was actually praying for God's need. And God always answers such a prayer. The short answer to this question is, we need to pray. But the question is, how do you pray? Here's the principle. The principle is in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 48. When Solomon, I believe it was Solomon, was speaking to the Lord, it says, or to the people, he said, when you pray, pray in the direction of the holy city, the holy temple, and the holy land. The holy land is Christ, our good land, our all-inclusive good land. The holy temple is the church, and the holy city is the kingdom. So this means that all of our prayers are focused on God's economy. So let's say I want to get a wife. I should not say, Lord, you know I need a wife. 
make sure she has red hair, because my wife has red hair. Don't tell anybody, but ever, ever since I was a little boy, I liked the girls that had red hair. And, and the Lord gave me one. He's very kind, isn't he? Don't, don't pray in a natural way. And don't even pray only for your human need. Pray this way, Lord. I'm a person living on this earth for nothing except Christ and the church. That's what my life is for. Every drop of my blood, every breath is for this. My life is for this. My money is for this. My home is for this. My marriage is for this. My family is for this. So Lord, give me the person who you already know is the best one for your economy. Well, you've just asked God to do the very thing that he wants to do. When my children were young, they complained to me, and I'm sure you've heard this complaint. They said, Dad, everything we ask you, you say no. It's not really very fair, but that's the view of a young child, isn't it? In their mind, you always say no. I say, well, the reason I say no is you keep asking me to do things I don't want to do. I said, now, if you were to ask me, Dad, would it be all right with you if I go to the full-time training? I'll say yes. So I'm making a little joke, but you get my point. Ask God to do the thing he wants to do that your prayer will be answered. Our problem is we ask him to do a lot of things that aren't what he wants to do. Those prayers don't get answered. So how to pray, it's a little tricky because we do have a human need and we do have a human desire. But just don't pray in a natural way. Okay, likewise. Sister, how do you say your name? Katso? Let's say you, you heard Sister Katso is sick. And then immediately you pray, Oh Lord, heal Katso! That's a natural prayer. That came out of your natural thought. How should we pray? Lord, our sister is ill. Did this come from you or did this come from your enemy? We bind anything that comes from your enemy and we receive everything that comes from you. Lord, what is in your heart concerning our sister? While she's passing through this illness, cause her to gain you. That's not a natural prayer out of natural affection. So learn how to pray in any case, and especially in the matter of marriage. Pray aiming your prayer at God's economy. Such a prayer will be answered. Okay. I I like this question. I am uncertain about the dress code. Well, we don't have one. So I'll I'll clear it up for you really easy. 
There's no dress code. Are young sisters expected to dress like a granny? Okay, uh, let me say it this way, sisters. In answering this question, and in answering many questions, we, we should look at two things. Number one, look at the Word of God. Number two, look at the common practice among the churches. Many Questions are not going to be answered in the Bible, but they, are, they would be answered in the common practice of the churches. So let's begin with the Bible. The Bible says that a woman's dress should be modest and sober and not with much gold and adorning. Uh, now I'm going to tell you where you can find a very long answer to this question. Same, go, go to the website of the church in Hamilton, New Zealand. I gave an entire message on this, and it, it covers it in great detail. But let me just say this. I'll just give you a little story to answer this question. My wife and I contacted a new one, and she is a professional artist. She teaches art. And she's a fantastic artist. And when we met her, she was already 49 years old, okay? So she was not a child. But she's an artist. She loves bright colors. And she's quite successful. So she had expensive clothes and brightly colored and really nice, nice jewelry. But she was an unbeliever when we met her. My wife and I preached the gospel to her. She got saved. She got baptized. She came into the church life. And we preached the gospel to her two daughters who got saved and baptized and came into the church life. And then we preached the gospel to her husband. He got saved and baptized and came into the church life. And this sister, one of her very first meetings that she attended, another sister, out of a very good heart, said, Oh, we don't dress that way here. Is that true? It better not be true. If somebody walks through that door right now wearing fluorescent green and pink, I'm going to say, come right on in, sister. Lovely to meet you. We better not have a dress code because that will exclude people. You know what our dress code is? I'll tell you what the dress code is. It's your spirit. That's Peter's answer. What should, your, what should your adorning be? A meek and quiet spirit. Follow your spirit. That's the answer. And I really mean it. And, and Brother Lee uses this example. When you're, when you're going to get dressed, say, Lord, do you... Do you like this tie? Should I wear this tie today? Contact the Lord. And then you'll have an inner sense. Follow that inner sense. Okay, I need to move on. 
Uh, I like this one. As a single older sister, I feel odd and out of place. I don't always feel like a part of the body. For example, the couples don't invite me to their homes, and you know, a lot of the fellowship is about families. And okay, so here's a dear sister who is older and single, and I don't know if she was ever married. It doesn't matter. She's not today. Uh, this is really a question of shepherding. We need to be aware of the situation of such a one, I, I would feel left out too. Um, and, 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 uh, and on the other side, some of the single younger ones feel they don't know where they fit in the church. But we have a place in the church for an elderly single sister, don't we? We better. We better. But I will say something to this sister who is elderly. If you... Sorry, I left my Bible upstairs, but if you look at Titus, the, the, I, think, I think it's Titus chapter 2. It talks about the function of the older sisters in the church life. You can find the verse. It says the older women should train the younger women in, in three things. How to be a lover of their husband, how to be a lover of their children, and how to keep their home. The young sisters don't know those things. They need help. Now, Amo's very fortunate because her mother is here. Most of the young sisters don't have that. They need you. They need a spiritual mother. This is the function of all of the older sisters in the church life, is to be a spiritual mother. And you don't need to be married to be a spiritual mother. You do need to be married to be a mother. But to be a spiritual mother, you don't. So, yeah, it's a two, shepherding's two ways. The older sisters need to shepherd the younger sisters. And younger sisters seek out the help of the older sisters. They know a whole lot of things that you don't know. And, and they may or may not share them with you, but if you seek them out, they will. Okay. <clears throat> okay, I answered that one already. Oh, that's a good one. All right, this one I can do quickly. And I think it's important because, unfortunately, it's real life. What is the difference between adultery and fornication? Okay, that's easy. Fornication is when a, uh, a single person has an improper relationship outside of marriage. Adultery is when a married person has an improper relationship while they are married. They have a relationship with somebody else. Can you still stay in a marriage if one committed that? There's a couple of questions along this line about marriage and divorce, and uh, let me just try to answer it in a more general way 
so that we uh, use our time well. Um, there are only two things that break the covenant of marriage. Only two. One is adultery, and the other is death. If you die, the marriage is over. You won't be married to your husband in the next age. In the next age, he'll just be your brother in Christ. That's another reason why you need to treat him as a brother in Christ today. He's not going to be your husband forever. That, that only lasts about 50 years or so. Okay, so let's take the unfortunate situation where a husband or wife commits adultery. Technically speaking, the marriage bond has been broken. But that does end if the offended party so desires. They're free to leave. They're free to divorce because the marriage bond is broken. But that doesn't mean they should automatically divorce. I know many cases where the offended party had the grace from the Lord to forgive and to remain in the marriage. I would say that's always better. It's always better. But I don't know what I would do. It's never happened to me. So when saints ask me if, if they have suffered this, I say what I just said to you. I say, you're free to leave the marriage and you're free to divorce, and you're free to remarry. That's the scriptures. That's not my opinion. You are free to remarry in such a case. But you don't have to. You could choose to forgive and to remain in the marriage. But you don't have to. I hope that, I hope that helps. And I will tell you, that answer I just gave you is exactly the way Brother Lee answered that question. Uh, okay, it's a big one. That's why I can't. I have to answer it briefly. Okay. Oh boy, that's a hard one. You guys ask hard questions. Okay. I'm looking for one here that I remember. Ah, here we go. I like this one. This is from a new mother. She's finding it very difficult to get into the Word and into the ministry. And she's feeling like she's just overwhelmed taking care of the kids and the house. And, and as a result, she's just kind of floating along in the Christian life and church life. All, all the sisters who've had children, you, you, you know exactly what she's talking about. I watched my wife pass through that period of time. To this sister, let me say to you that, number one, this is temporary. It will change. And don't, you need to look at it from a different point of view. As I said in the first session, you are in the church life. You are taking care of people. You are shepherding people. You're doing it right in your home, which is where it needs to start. Now, the time in the Word 
and the time in the ministry, all I can say is, at different times in our life, we will have more time to do that or less time. It, it's normal. It's okay. Uh, when I was young, I served full-time for quite a few years. And then, due to the environment, I had to get a job. Let me tell you what I did when I served full-time. This is before we had campus teams and all of this kind of stuff. And I was in Anaheim. You know what Brother Lee's directions to us were? Spend four hours a day to study the Bible and the ministry. And I was in heaven. I was in heaven. And I did that. I did that every day for seven years. Well, you can't do that your whole life. I was able to do it then. Now, later on, I had a job, a very demanding job, and a wife, and two kids, and I'm an elder, and I'm a co-worker, and... I I only do what I can do. So you know what I would do? i try to have a short time with the Lord in the morning before I went to work. And then, when lunchtime came, I would eat my lunch in five minutes, and i spend the rest of the time to read the Bible and the ministry. That's all I could do. For a period of time, that's all I could do. It's not bad. Sister, the Lord put you in that environment. He, he knows very well that you don't have time right now. He knows that. What he's trying to do is train you to not waste your time and to live by him in your human life. And don't compare your present situation to what it used to be like. It's a big mistake. Your present situation is the situation the Lord has ordained for you for this period of time. Learn to breathe him in in prayer as you are going through your busy day. And don't don't worry if you can't read for an hour. Read for five minutes. You say, well, I don't even have five minutes. Okay. Play the messages from the sisters' training in New Zealand. Or, or play or listen to one of the messages from the seven feasts. Just have it on while you're going about your day. Just have it on all the time. You get my point. All right. There's a couple of questions related to finances in the marriage life and you know the bible doesn't tell us it doesn't talk about that does it the bible does not tell us it's uh, it's the husband supposed to handle the finances is the wife supposed to handle the finances are they supposed to do it together i don't know i mean i could tell you what i do but it doesn't matter what i do because what i do is just what i do the bible doesn't tell us the answer to this question Uh, In general, everything in the marriage life should be mutual, in general. It shouldn't be that one or the other just spends and doesn't have any coordination with the other. That makes no sense. You're married. And 
when you're married, you're accountable to one another um, for everything, not just money, for everything. So, um, yeah, I think that's all I want to say on that. I like the way this one is worded. Is it godly for the mother to stay at home and look after the children? Well, I don't know about godly, um, but it's, it's a bigger question, really, isn't it? In principle, now, principle and practice can be different. In principle, the responsibility for caring for the children falls always primarily on the mother, which it should. The men are no good at it, trust me. And if she can, it's sort of like serving the Lord, okay? If you can serve the Lord with all of your time, that's great. If you can't, serve the Lord with some of your time, right? If you can spend all of your time to care for your children and your home, great. Not everybody can do that. If you can, that's great. If you can't, you can't. And there are many factors, aren't there? Financial factors, health factors, marriage factors. There's many reasons why you may or may not be able to do that. So, you know, we can't give an absolute answer. But what we can say is that that responsibility is primarily on the mother. So the more time you spend on it, the better. Okay. Here's a practical question. In the Lord's recovery, when you die, should you, get, should you be buried or cremated? <laughs> you should be raptured. <laughs> you should be an, a raptured overcomer. And if you die, you should be a part of the man-child. That means you overcame in your lifetime. The answer to this question is, we have no custom in the Lord's recovery one way or the other. We, we just have no custom. Some, some get buried, some get cremated. I know, I know the root of this question, I know. Some people believe that it's not no one should get cremated listen your 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 physical body is worthless that's not you and once your spirit is separated from your physical body it's really worthless i, I don't care if, if if i don't think my wife if she lives longer than me i don't think she will cremate me it won't bother me cuz i won't be there my spirit will be in paradise. That's where I'll be. No, I really mean it. But believe what you want to believe about this matter. If you think it's a bad thing to cremate a body, then I say don't do it. Don't, don't cremate it. Personally, it doesn't bother me. Um, but the real, my main point is we don't have a custom. 
in the Lord's recovery related to this matter. Okay, this one, this one, hmm. this one I'm a little afraid of, but I'm going to, I didn't make it up, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to read it. Why do so many sisters equate legality with spirituality? Like the, like the story I just told you about our new one getting a legal word concerning her dress. And then, when they are super spiritual, you don't sense much life or joy in it, and you don't want to be around it. You know what? No one likes legality. And legality doesn't work. This is one thing you should have learned in the family life. Legality doesn't work. The more legal you are with your children, the worse they're going to behave. People respond to care. They don't respond to legality. In fact, legality almost always gets the opposite result of what you want. Almost always. So, to the sister who wrote this question, I don't know. I don't know why some people equate. I would say legality is a false spirituality. That's what it is. It's not spirituality. It's false spirituality. So maybe that's the reason some people equate legality to spirituality. Maybe. I I don't know. But I just tell you, get into the spirit of the Bible. Is it a legal spirit? It is not. It is not. Even the book of Deuteronomy, which is a book on how to live under God's divine government. It's a book of law. There's no legality. There's love. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 10 equates the love of the Lord with the fear of the Lord. See, there's a balance. This afternoon with the young adults, we're going to have a message on what does it mean to have a proper fear of the Lord. And I tell you, it's not what you think. It's not the fear of retribution. It's not a legal thing. So I just would say, dear saints, all of us need to endeavor to be truly spiritual and not falsely spiritual and a truly spiritual person, let me tell you one characteristic of a, of a spiritual person. They're exceptionally flexible. They're not legal. They're not legal. I can tell you, Brother Lee was absolutely not a legal person. He was, here's the principle, and this is what we were taught, and I, 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 I agree with this. Be legal with yourself, but not anyone else. Be strict with yourself, not others. Be kind to others. Be welcoming to others. Not strict, but to yourself. Be very strict. That's, that's the right attitude. Okay, let me go on. Oh, I like this one. 
Okay, this is a question on head covering. I'm going to give a very brief answer, and then I'm going to tell you where you can find a very complete answer. The brief answer is this. I see some heads in this room have a physical head covering, and some do not. So who's right and who's wrong? Is it right to have a physical head covering, or is it wrong? Or are the ones who have it the spiritual ones? And, and the ones who don't have it are the not-so-enlightened-yet ones. In the New Testament, everything is spiritual, except a, a couple of matters. The Lord instructed us to have a Lord's Table meeting with physical elements, didn't he? Actually, that bread and that cup have a very deep spiritual significance of eating the Lord and drinking the Lord and being constituted with him. But he actually told us to do it physically. And the other thing that we are supposed to do physically in the New Testament, we're supposed to immerse people in baptism. We had a great baptism here. Was that yesterday, Evan? Or the day before? It might have been the day before. Oh, boy, we were... And I got a chance to fellowship a little bit with the young man who was getting baptized. And I told him, I said, listen, we're going to put you into water. But actually, that water doesn't mean anything. What you're actually getting put into is the body of Christ. The death of Christ. The Spirit himself. But... The Bible does tell us we do this physical thing. But almost, think about this, almost everything else in the New Testament is spiritual, not physical. So let me ask you, is head covering physical or spiritual in the New Testament? Hard to say, isn't it? And it's hard for me to say. But I would say this, there's a hint Let me just say this much. I have time. Head coverings only mentioned once in the Bible. Do you think it's a real important thing? And you need to know where it's mentioned. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians, where there's a lot of disorder, a lot of problems. It's not repeated anywhere else. And in that section on head covering in 1 Corinthians, Paul says a woman's long hair can be considered a head covering. Doesn't he? He doesn't say, you must have a piece of linen on top of your head. No, he doesn't. He says, you need to have your head covered. And this is why in principle, and, 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 he, and he says this, doesn't look right when a man has long hair. It looks shameful. But if a sister were to have no hair to cover her head, that doesn't look right either, does it? It just doesn't look right. And, you know, we had a sister, I'm really sorry to tell you this, we had a sister 
young sister came into the church life and uh, unfortunately she left her husband and committed adultery. You know the first thing she did when she left her husband? She shaved her head completely. And that's how she lives now. What does that tell you? Rebellion. Utter rebellion. Open rebellion. And the long hair, according to Paul, signifies submission and covering. So, let's now talk about the general practice of the churches. It's different everywhere. If you go to the Far East, all the sisters wear a physical head covering. If you go to America, you'll hardly ever see one. So who's right? Who's right? Taiwan or America? (laughs) See, a lot of it's cultural. If I was living in Taiwan, I would encourage my wife to wear a physical head covering because all of the sisters are wearing it. But if my wife in church in Seattle wore a physical head covering, she'd be the only one. Well, that's not good. Then you're wearing of the physical head covering. What you're really saying is, I'm the only spiritual one here. What's wrong with the rest of you sisters? Get with the program. (laughs) Now let me tell you where you can find a very long answer to that. I gave a very long message on head covering in New Zealand. You can, you can listen to it with a long outline. Okay, here's one I need to get to, so let me do it now, and then I will um, come back to some of the other questions, which are, which are all wonderful. But this one's an, a real important one, and I have, I have a little burden to talk about it at a little more length. Um, How necessary and beneficial is it to have a sister's prayer meeting? A sister's prayer meeting. Okay, again I say, before I answer it, again I say, we have two things to consider here. Number one, what does the scripture say? Number two, what is the common practice of the churches? We've got to look at those two things to answer this kind of question. So, is there such a thing in the New Testament, in the church meetings, is there such a thing as a sister's prayer meeting? No, there's not. There's a prayer meeting, but there's no sister's prayer meeting. And is there any example in the New Testament? of a sister's prayer meeting? Nope, not one. So we're not going to be able to answer this question from the Bible, are we? But let me just say this. What does the Bible tell us about the meetings? What the Bible tells us, and it actually isn't that explicit. It's not a teaching. It's just what we know the practice was. In the New Testament, there's three kinds of church meetings. There's prayer meeting, there's the Lord's table meeting, and there's a prophesying meeting. That's very clear. The church meetings 
are those three categories. So now, I already know what's coming next. Is it wrong to have a sister's prayer meeting? Don't think that way. Let's, let's, now let's talk about... Well, well, let me just answer that. Anybody, any group of saints, can come together at any time to pray. That's proper. But it's not church meeting. And we don't announce it and say, okay, uh, saints, we want you all to know that uh, uh, Amo and Joanna are getting together to pray at 10 o'clock on Wednesday. No, we don't talk about it. That's not, that's not the church. That's a couple of sisters who are burdened to pray. They come together, they pray. It's wonderful. And brother, uh, sisters... I start to say brothers and sisters, but we only have three brothers, so I'll just talk to the sisters. Sisters, there's something we should do that's not a formal prayer meeting. You know what it is? We should be praying with vital companions all the time. Not for an hour, one day a week, and try to make it into a a church meeting. No, there's no church meeting. For sisters, I'm sorry. Sisters shouldn't have a Lord's table by themselves either. And neither should the brothers. No. The church meetings include the brothers and the sisters. All of them do. You know, the brethren, some parts of the brethren teach that a woman should never prophesy. And in many brethren assemblies, women aren't allowed to pray in the prayer meeting. Now, we all know there are more sisters in the church life than there are brothers, because the the question told us that. Could you imagine if we had a prayer meeting and we said, okay, no sisters are allowed to pray in this meeting, only brothers. The brethren do that. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, when a sister prays or prophesies, she should have her head covered, meaning the sisters need to pray and they need to prophesy. I don't want to come to a prophesying meeting. Only the brothers speak? Are you kidding? That'd be so boring. (laughs) And it'd be so objective because brothers, they, they just speak about the objective stuff. The sisters speak about experience. This is why we need that whole thing in a prophesying meeting. So, what's the general practice of the churches in the matter of a sister's prayer meeting? I told you, I've, I've visited the churches in 70 countries. I've seen everything. Um, the general practice of the churches is there's no such thing as a sister's prayer meeting. It doesn't exist. Because it's not in the word, it's not in our general practice. We shouldn't make it a thing. It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. But I'm just saying that there is no such thing as a sister's prayer meeting. No, it doesn't exist. So don't make it a thing, but 
definitely pray. And instead of trying to get, I don't know how many chairs are in this room, what do you think, Yevon? Okay, instead of trying to, 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 to start a meeting where 150 sisters come together once a week for an hour, first of all, you're not going to get 150. And secondly, there's a fundamental problem with it. What's the problem? The fundamental problem is the same problem as if sisters came together to have a Lord's table meeting. What's the fundamental problem? There's no covering. There's no headship. So who's, who's in charge of that meeting? Who takes the lead in that meeting? Whoever assumes to take the lead. Well, I'm telling you, that's improper. That's to pray with your head uncovered. But for Sisters, to come together with one another in vital groups to pray. Oh, that's not only appropriate, we desperately need that. What if every single sister in this room had one or two sisters that they pray with every week? Wow, the church would be revived. It would be revived. And you would be revived. And in that setting where Amo and two companions come together, let's say Amo, Clara, and Renata, they come together. You know what? Nobody has to be in charge. Because there's only these three sisters. We don't have to say, okay, you're in charge of this prayer meeting. No, no, no. No one's in charge. We just have a vital group. We all pray. We all open to one another. We can, we can fellowship, and then we can pray. And there's no issue, is there? There's no issue. But if I say, okay, sisters, this week on Monday at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a sister's prayer meeting. Everybody should attend except the brothers. What's that meeting going to look like? Who's going to initiate the prayer burdens? Who's going to oversee the meeting? Who's going to take the lead? You see the problem? So this is, now I'm giving you the reason why the general practice of the churches is not to have such a meeting. Just come to the prayer meeting. Come to the prayer meeting. We, have, we, have, we do have a prayer meeting. Come to that, and then, I hope, it, I hope it's more than once a week. Pray with some vital companions. You know, my wife's a school teacher. She has a full-time job, not for much longer, because we're getting old. Maybe one more year, one more year she'll probably do it. Uh, but she prays with sisters every day. Different ones. One night. She and another sister pray. Another night, she and a different sister pray. Wouldn't that be great if we just do that in the church life? That's the kind of prayer we need to have. And now, let me say this. I don't live in Pretoria. I'm not an elder in the church in Pretoria. 
I have no authority to say anything about anything in Pretoria. Just do whatever the brothers here who are the elders of the church in Pretoria, whatever direction they give the church, that's the direction you should follow. So I'm only speaking in principle. Don't take what I say as the rule for the church in Pretoria. I have no such, no such authority. Just, just fellowship with the brothers here, whatever. So I'm answering this question in, in principle, okay? Yeah, I'm not giving directions here. Okay, let's go on. That one I had some burden for. Um, okay, here's I think I think I've I think I've answered this, but I, I, I like the way this is worded. Let me just talk a little about it. I, I won't talk much because I've already answered it a bit. It said if eighty percent of the church life is supposed to be in the home. Um, three kids takes up all capital A, capital L, capital L, <laughs> all my time. There's no more time left for the rest of the church life. I feel guilty. Okay, I say again, I did try to answer this already. You're at a stage in your life. It's all it is. It will change. And the stage in your life where you are spending all of your time to care for three children, that's a big job. I told you my mother was widowed with nine children at the age of 39. She didn't get a job. I got a job. (laughs) My older brother's got a job. But my mother's job, she had nine kids at home. So this stage of life that you're in with young children, oh, I tell you, it's hard. I know that. I watched my wife go through it. The good news is it does end. You You do move on to another stage. And during this stage... This is your life. And, and, and this sister, this is the point I wanted to tell you. She said she feels guilty about it. Don't. Why would you be guilty? You're caring for three new ones. You're, you're shepherding three new ones for the church. Change your view. You're preaching the gospel, shepherding, raising up people for the church. Isn't that what we're all supposed to be doing? And you're actually doing it. And I will also tell you, I hope this comforts you. Some of us older brothers understand this because we, we've seen it. I do my best when I talk to the young husbands to help them understand that this, this period of your wife's life is exceptionally difficult. You need to know that, and you need to help a lot. Some people get it, some people don't. I probably didn't get it when I was that age, so... But I'll try, okay? <laughs> I'll, try, I'll try to tell the brothers. I don't know if they'll listen. Probably not.
Oh, here's a good one. Oh, this is very, very good. And I've kind of already answered it, but there's another element here. It says, should I be worried when I'm 29 years old and still not married? And, number, and, and the other part is, what, what, what age should you get married? Well, what age should you get married? Um, there are a lot of factors. Some are biological, some are cultural, some are financial. There's a lot of factors. But let's just say that there's a range of years that, that are good to get married. You know, in the United States today, there's a trend in the society, the entire society, people get married later. You know, my, my parents got married when they were... You know, 19 years old. That's that generation. My wife and I got married in our 20s. Well, that was a, that's our generation. My older daughter didn't marry until she was 31. It's even that today in America, that's on the early side. People are getting married like in their mid and late 30s in America today. I'm talking about the society, not the church. I'm just saying that's a cultural factor. That, that comes into this question. And again, I want to say, we don't have a custom. And we don't have a rule. So if anyone tells you there is a rule, I, I don't think there is. Now, if you're 30 or 29, if you're 29, yes, you're right at the age where It's a great time to get married, so pray. And pray according to God's economy. And it may happen this year, it might not. Um, It may happen next year. And this is another thing. When the sisters come together in vital groups to pray, pray for each other. For this matter. Help the sisters to pray for this and help them to pray for it not in a natural way. This would be a very good thing for the vital groups to pray together concerning. You know, in, in, the, in the vital group prayer, it's different than the prayer meeting of the church. In the prayer meeting of the church, we need to pray for the Lord's move in Europe. We need to pray for the stop of the coronavirus. We need to pray for the churches all over the earth. But when we come together in vital groups, you know what we can do? We can pray about your situation. Whatever it is, your health, you need a job, you need a husband, you need this. We aren't going to pray, sorry, we're not going to pray for that in the church prayer meeting. But in a vital group, we can, we, could, we can and should pray for that. We can and should, okay? Oh, yeah, this is hard. Oh, this one makes me sad. But I'm going to still try to answer it. How do I go on in the Lord and in the church life? in a loveless, dead second marriage 
of quite a few years. The husband's not in the church life, and the home life is a lot of death. Well, this is real life, isn't it? You know, in the last meeting, we kind of talked about the ideal, how, how we want it to be and how it should be and how the Lord views it. But in real life, we will have such circumstances. All I can say is marriage is marriage, and we honor marriage. If it's a good marriage, we honor it, and if it's a bad marriage, we honor it because it's God's ordination. And we don't leave a marriage because it's not a good marriage. There's no such thought in the Bible. The, the, as, I, as I said, marriage is a covenant between three parties, a man, a woman, and God himself. We don't break that covenant even when we're not happy. Um, so, what, do you, what should we tell this dear sister? What should we tell her? I would say to her, if, if I could, I would say, sister, this situation, which I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but this situation is the Lord's arrangement. I don't want the Apostle Paul to go to prison either. I don't want Watchman Nee to spend the last 20 years of his life in prison. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But you know what? It was the Lord's arrangement. And he knew that. You think about it. You're Watchman Nee. You've got this incredible gift. A once in a generation kind of gift. And you spend all of the best years of your life unable to use it. Can't write a book, can't give a message, can't do anything. How do you think he felt? I'll tell you how he felt. He felt that he was in God's arrangement. And he experienced Christ. If you and I had written the book of Philippians... Philippians 1.1 would say, Get me out of here! I'm in prison, you know! Get me out! Or if we were a little more spiritual, we would say, Dear saints, please pray that I will be released very, very, very soon from this prison. Not Paul. You know what Paul says? Pray for me so that in this prison I will live Christ and magnify Christ. That's all I want. All I want is, I don't want out of prison. I just want to be in prison with the bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ which is in the body of Christ. That's why I need your prayer, because I need that bountiful supply to enable me in this prison 
to live Christ and magnify Christ. That's all I want. And do you notice in the whole book of Philippians, he never talks about getting out of prison. It's not his thought. It's not his thought. Now, if I were in a marriage like this, I would consider that a prison. It's only God's mercy that I'm not in such a marriage. I take no credit for it. The Lord gave us what we got. So I would say, dear sister, um, remain in prison. Do your very best to receive the bountiful, bountiful supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ through the body. That's where you get it. You don't get it on your own. You still need to pursue the Lord individually in your daily life. And here's the most important thing I'm going to say. Have one or two vital companions in the church life who you constantly can receive the supply from. It's the only way you can survive in that kind of environment. Okay, here's a question concerning the God-ordained way. It's asking, why, why don't we see those four things going on today? The begetting, the uh, nourishing, the teaching and perfecting for the building. Well, just in brief, let me say, uh, we're all in different places in our practice, and um, entering into that in a full way, very, very difficult. When Burley began to speak about the God-ordained way in 1984, he told us something that shocked me at the time. He said, it will take us 50 years to enter into this. And I was sitting there, and Brother John remembers because he was there too. I was sitting there, I was like, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll work this out next year. This is, you know, <laughs> all, all you got to do is preach the gospel, teach the truth, perfect people. Yeah, we'll get that done in a year. Well, no, it's it, what we learned now, because 1984 was a long time ago, we learned he was right. It takes time to enter into it. So, to the person who wrote this question, I have a word for you. I'm going to be a broken record. Have one or two vital companions and practice it today, now. Beget some spiritual children. Nourish those spiritual children. Teach them, perfect them. And if you don't have the spiritual children, you got those other, those other kind of children. You know, pray with your vital companions for those unbelievers. <laughs> I just like call. I don't know why I like calling them. They are, you know, they're little fallen unbelievers. <laughs> yeah, but no, no. <laughs> they look so cute. But they come out of the womb already knowing how to lie. <laughs> they're cute little unbelievers. Okay, here's another one. Um, it's quite similar to some of the other questions, but I just want to read it. 
Are sisters allowed to wear makeup? Are they allowed to wear jewelry? Are they allowed to have a manicure? <laughs> or even or even more extravagant, a pedicure? <laughs> Are they allowed? Allowed by who? We have no rule in the church. We don't. Hey, why do you have nail polish on your toes? This is the church. I bet if you took off your shoes, I'd see nail polish on your toes. Hey, everybody, she's got nail polish on. Red alert, red alert. Somebody tell her after the meeting that we don't do that here. So, sisters, as as I've already said, we don't have such a rule. You follow your spirit, and you let the other sisters follow their spirit. And the Lord will lead you, and be broad. Be broad. Who cares? You know, my answer to this question is, I don't care. If you, if, you, if you wear nail polish, I love you. If you don't, I still love you. If you wear tons of jewelry, I love you. If you wear no jewelry, I still love you. If you wear extravagant clothes, I still love you. And if you wear very simple clothes, I love you. I don't care. I don't care what you do. It doesn't affect the church. It doesn't affect me. Now, I am going to try to shepherd you to live according to the mingled spirit and not in a natural way, but I'm not going to tell you what to do, especially in your personal appearance. No, you don't tell me what kind of tie to wear. Make sure that your tie, make sure it's conservative. Make sure there's not very much color in there. Oh, I see a little red. Oh, that's, that's kind of worldly. No, just say, hey, Brother Martin, when you get dressed in the morning, exercise your spirit and follow the Lord. But don't tell me that my tie is inappropriate. You're not the judge of that. And I and nobody else is the judge of what kind of clothes you should wear or jewelry or makeup or... I don't have anything to say about that. Okay, I, one more, one more. Which one should I do? Oh, okay, I apologize. I got to almost all of them, but this is a real, real important one. What is the secret to enjoy the Lord with your husband? I'm going to give you the secret. It's really deep. Are you ready? The secret is start now. Start now. If you didn't have it before, start now. And it will take a lot of wisdom. Because, I don't know if you know this, but it's hard for the brothers to receive help from the sisters. So if you say, hey, you better start praying with me and enjoying the Lord with me 
that's not going to go over real big. I, 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 I can assure you. I can assure you. But we must, the person in the church who is our most natural, I use natural in a good sense here, our most natural vital companion is Kyle. Is your husband. That's, that should be your first vital companion. I mean, I'm serious. And I know, hey, we all have a long history, this, that. Maybe we never had a spiritual element in our marriage. We're not sure how to bring it in. Well, the first thing I would say is, the Lord wants it. He wants it. So pray for it. That's what He wants. He wants to answer that prayer. And then look for the wisdom. How do I, how do I enter into this with my husband? Um, maybe. I'm just talking in principle. If you're just going to start now, start small. <laughs> start small. <laughs> don't, don't try to get it, change your whole marriage practice in a day. Just say, uh, dear, can we pray for the kids for a few minutes? He'll, he'll probably say yes, I would guess. Or, dear, can I, can I share something with you from the morning revival? And then if you want to trick him, say, I, I just want to tell you so you can tell me if I'm right or not. <laughs> See, because... Because that's what men want to do, right? <laughs> they actually don't want to hear your enjoyment, but they do want to correct you. <laughs> so just trick them. Just trick them. Say, I, I just, I just, just tell me if I got the point right, dear. <laughs> okay, I ran out of time. I'm so sorry. I did get most of the questions, and I got most of what I think were real important ones, and maybe we'll do it again one day, huh? Whenever I go to New Zealand these days, I have a time with the sisters, which I never used to do, but I tell you, I really I enjoy being with you. And I, I, feel, I feel it's really profitable to come together in this way. I really, really do. I don't know how the Lord will lead the brothers, but I think more and more we sense the need for this kind of a meeting, and uh, I'm sure the brothers will follow the Lord's leading. Amen.